Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www.3cr.org.au. Yeah, we're the dogs. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. We are here to defend and promote public education. Public education, of course, that's free, universal and secular for all Australians. Not something that has gatekeepers that stop children going to schools. And we firmly believe and have always believed for decade upon decade upon decade and are willing to say in public and in private that there should be no money going to any private school or education system in Australia. Because um, not only is it unconscionable, but it's economically stupid. In any case, um, you hit listen to my voice, not Jean's, today because got a lot to get through and I thought I'd let you know what we're going to be listening to in the next hour or so. We're going to be talking about the TAFE sector, something that has been hemorrhaging problems for over a decade now. And we're going to take a trip back in time to a fellow called Justice Murphy, who Jean has done some research on and I think I think we'll be all be very interested to hear in what she has to share on that. And then of course we will do what Sun Tzu, um, that great Japanese general from the whatever a long ago century, said, know thy enemy. And we'll see how the advocates of the private school system have shifted their rhetoric, have shifted the debate to promote their cause, letting us know, of course, the dogs, what it is that we have to fight into the future. And then, we, and then we'll be finishing up about discussing in detail how state schools indeed solve the problems um, of equity and inequality in Australia more than any private school system can over the generations. But never to forget, of course, we'll be talking about our great state school later in the program. Every week we have a school that we highlight and investigate in depth is doing great stuff. This one is about as far away from the studio of 3CA you can get and still be in Victoria at a little place called Murrayville, right out there on the border of South Australia in the dust and the dirt and the, and the desert and the sheep and the cattle. So Murrayville Community College will be talking about that later in the program. But first up, of course, we need to find out what Jean has to say in her press release. She has one every program. And this is press release what, Jean? 746. 746 press releases since the dogs has been on air, so that gives you an idea how long we've been here. Uh, Jean, what's it all about? Um, it's about... Uh Freedom of religion is protected by Section 116. Uh, press release 746. Freedom of religion is protected by Section 116. Read Murphy's dissenting judgment in the Dogs case of 1981. For generations, Australians believed that state aid to private schools was unconstitutional largely because the Freedom of Religion Clause, Section 116, made it unconstitutional. This is the Freedom of Religion's Clause, and since a 19, uh, sorry, 1880, or in between 1880 and 1960, our state schools were protected by the belief that Section 116 really was a Freedom of Religion Clause. So the dogs went to the High Court in 1981 and for 26 days they listened to the religious schools trying to prove that they were not religious institutions. And the dogs might have lost the case but they proved the point. The religious people lost their souls for a mess of state aid pottage. Billions and billions of taxpayers' money of pottage. Because 60 years later, people don't take their religious beliefs seriously anymore. They can't see that they are anything else but hypocrites and they have lost their place in the public sphere. So what's happening? They're very, very unhappy about it. 
and they are talking about religious freedom. Now, religious freedom, dear listeners, is something that really matters to minority groups, not majority groups. So we are in the position, those of us who might have a religious belief, of perhaps being in a minority in Australia. And the view from below is very different to the view from on top. Now, the coalition government has given the religious people in Australia a SOP. And the former Attorney-General, Philip Ruddock, is heading a review on religious freedoms. Thousands of submissions have been made to the review panel and they were released on March the 30th after the reporting deadline was deferred until May to accommodate more than 16,000 responses from churches, faith groups, lawyers, individuals and LGBTI bodies. Now, the Australian Federation of Islamic Councils, which is a new minority religious group on the block, used its submission to argue the right to freedom of religion and said it was not adequately protected under Australian law and was at risk of further erosion in the current political climate. And of course, religious freedom is something that exercises the mind of a minority group. And one would hope that it would exercise the mind of, say, um, majority Islamic groups in places like Saudi Arabia. The AFIC, that is the Australian Federation of Islamic Councils, pushed for the introduction of a Bill of Rights, arguing that religious freedoms were created by a series of legal exemptions at the moment in Australia. And it said that this approach promulgates the view that the right to freedom of religion is a secondary right that is catered for by way of exception in certain matters to the more important rights that it is distinguished from. And of course this is a very good point to make. And they also said, uh, the Islamic Council, that this is fundamentally counter to the intent of the United Nations Universal Declaration and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And other submissions warned that religious institutions were at risk of being driven from public life altogether. Now, the University of New South Wales law dean, George Williams, who writes a lot of books on constitutional law and is very interested in this question, has warned that freedom of religion received inadequate protection under Australian law at the moment and that, in contrast to other nations, protections of these rights is weak or even non-existent and is not wrong there. Uh, But he said that... Australia is the lone democracy without some form of National Human Rights Act or Bill of Rights incorporating protection of freedom of religion. I think there he's a bit wrong. The Australian Constitution, he says, offers no direct protection in respect of religion or belief at the state level. And this stands in contrast to the strong and clear protection provided for religious freedoms under international law and in comparable nations. So this debate over the introduction of a Bill of Rights, and those of us who've been around a while remember that we all wanted a Bill of Rights, particularly in the 70s and the 80s, and we thought that we might get it while Justice Murphy was on the High Court. Um, But it's given many of the supporters of traditional marriage um, in in the coalition are also constitutional conservatives who are opposed to the general Bill of Rights. Well, the dogs have got some good news for those demanding a Bill of Rights. Australia already has, in Section 116, a Bill of Rights religious liberty provision. This is it. Let's remind ourselves of what we've got. The Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion or for imposing any religious observance or for prohibiting the free exercise of any religion and no religious test shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the Commonwealth. Sit and think about it. That's a pretty pretty strong Bill of Rights provision. And the reason I say that is that it's modelled on the Bill of Rights provision of the United States of America, the First Amendment. 
But the problem is not with the Australian Constitution, but with the interpretation of that Constitution by the Barwick High Court of 1981. You can have all the freedoms you like enshrined in a Constitution or a Bill of Rights, and we had them, but they can always be read down and out. And there's further good news, if you want it. We have a dissenting judgment in the dog's case, and religious groups, we believe, should be giving up their lust for power, privilege and property, and they, and Ruddick, should be looking at what Justice Murphy had to say about religious liberty in the dog's case. Now, Murphy was the solitary dissenter in the state aid case of 1981, and he was also the only judge, with the partial exception of Mason, to identify the reasons, the difficulties which the Founding Fathers sought to prevent the future Commonwealth from running into. And that led to the original insertion of Section 116 and the providing of public funds to religious organisations to run their enterprises was one of the intentions of the Founding Fathers. But only Murphy closely studied the context and only he identified the purpose and the point of its inclusion, the social and religious mischief which it had been intended to prevent. And this, of course, is why the dogs who are pro-public education are also anti the public subsidisation of private religious schools. Now, what did Murphy write? He pointed out that almost all the non-government schools that are, recent, that, that are provided with state aid are what are known as church or denominational or in the United States sectarian or parochial schools. And all of these have a religious element. And the general picture is that as well as secular instruction, each of the church schools engages in instructions in its particular religion and engages in religious observances and worship. So... He didn't agree with the uh, religious schools themselves who said that they weren't religious institutions. He's calling them for what they are. And he was the judge, of course, who sat for 26 days listening to them, trying to claim that they were not religious. By the way, they never told their supporters or the, pa the parents who sent their children to their schools any of this. Quite the contrary. Now, uh, he has some very very important things to say. He disagrees with the majority judges. Uh, he pointed out there were three meanings of establishing in section uh, 116 which were advanced. The first and the narrowest means establishing one national church or religion and the second or the preferential means preferring by sponsorship or support any religion and the third one is that um, the separation interpretation of the clause means that it forbids not only a national church and any preference to one religion over others, but also the sponsorship or the support, including financial support, of any religion. The word any is used three times in section 116 and the majority judges turn the word any into a particular and that meant that it was read down and out and what was a shield became a sword and that's what people who now want to be free from religion in Australia uh, are very well aware of. Now he also said he went back over to America and the cases there uh, he said there's no warrant for reading any religion as any one religion. And yet this is necessary if establishing refers only to the recognition or setting up of one national church or religion. Such a reading, and he's here having a go at the majority judges, trivialises the section. It would allow laws for sponsoring and supporting financially and otherwise a number of religious even in the most discriminatory and preferential way, as long as the laws stop short of setting up one national church or religion. And that, of course, is what we've got. And the same objection applies to the adoption of the preferential interpretation. And he went back to 
the uh, Chief Justice Latham in a Jehovah's Witness case where he said Section 116 applies in express terms to any religion, not a particular religion, any religious observance, the free sex exercise of any religion and any religious test. And thus the section applied to all religions and not merely in relation to one particular religion. Uh, he also went to the United States uh, to Mr Justice Douglas uh, in his um, dissent in Tilton versus Richardson. Uh, and this is particularly interesting. When one remembers that churches pay no inheritance tax, this is in America, churches do not die, that churches may own and operate business and be exempt from the corporate income tax. In those days, it was 52% in America. It's really come down, hasn't it? And that real property used for church purposes is tax exempt. It's not unreasonable to prophesy that with reasonably prudent management, the churches ought to be able to control the whole economy of the nation within the predictable future. That the growing wealth and property of the churches was partially responsible for revolutionary expropriations of church property in England in the 16th, in the 16th century, in France in the 18th, in Italy in the 19th, and in Mexico, Russia, Czechoslovakia and Hungary, to name a few examples in the 20th century, seems self-evident. A government with mounting tax problems cannot be expected to keep its hands off the wealth of a rich church forever that such a revolution is always accompanied by anti-clericalism and atheism should not be surprising. So our religious schools and our churches have forgotten the lessons of their own history. The greedier and the wealthier they become, the more they see themselves as in service to those in power rather than the poor, the more uh, they are likely to lose that wealth when there is a revolution. So the mounting wealth of the churches, and uh, this is what um, Murphy said, the mounting wealth of churches makes ironic their incessant demands for the public treasury. And that is the dog's position. We believe that state aid for private religious schools is bad for religion, and the religious people are starting to find that out, but they aren't realising the reason why. They should go back and look at Section 116 instead of jumping up and down and complaining that they are becoming irrelevant in public life in Australia and their privileges should be enshrined in some kind of Bill of Rights when they already have freedom of religion in a Bill of Rights clause in the Australian Constitution. They should actually go back to realise what religious freedom, what freedom of conscience actually really is. Yes, you've been listening to Jean here. That was a very interesting and long and detailed press release. I'm sure our listeners appreciated that because the historical context of what we're fighting about goes back, of course, to 1981 with the Dogs High Court case, but it actually goes back much, much further than that as well. It goes back to Constantine. It goes back to the relationship between religion and the state and whether or not all the children are going to be given educational opportunities or whether only the chosen few are to be educated. That's what it's all about. Which is why we need to fight the good fight here on 3CR 855 on the IM dial, because we're a community radio station. And if you listen to 3CR, you know it's not just about us, it's about everyone. It's about an inclusivity. And what Jean's talking about is the constitutional right for children not just to be free to practice religion, but to be free of it, of any particular farm or type, or indeed any religion at all. And 3CR is a place where we can express these views and opinions. Um, other course media outlets wouldn't be so happy for us to be on here but it's nice to have 3CR. We are the dogs, we are the defenders of government schools with a very strong opinion about the separation of religion from the state. Um, back after these messages.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, just showing my bias here. I pulled out a CD from when I was a teenager, something I used to listen to when I was studying back in the day. That was Joss Kahn, Misapatagalinga, the Gloria there, second movement from his little motet. Gotta love it. Sung by the Talus Scholars there back in the 80s, um, directed by Peter Phillips. Um, well, to go away from such calming sounds to such a terrible tragedy is where I'm going to have to take listeners at the moment because we've gone from history to tragedy. There are tragedies in history, but some tragedies are unfolding as we speak today. The tragedy I'm referring to, of course, is Australia's TAFE sector, or what's left of it. In fact, it's not even a TAFE sector anymore. TAFE colleges have been residualised because over the last 10 years or so, the education system, that the... the um, on-the-ground education system, the vocational education and training system in in Australia has been completely stuffed up. I had a friend of mine the other day, and they said, look, I really need to get myself a Cert 4 in in, in training because they're they're an artist and they do a lot of teaching and they're a very successful teacher and they wanted to extend their skills out and they're looking for a course. And they came to me and said, Rob, you know about education. What do you recommend? And I said, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Because nothing sprang to mind. Nothing sprang to mind in terms of vocational education and training in Australia today. I had to spend at least four or five hours researching. It was an old CAE, actually, that I recommended. Because at least if you go to an old CAE, you can be guaranteed that the course is going to be there by the time you finished it. And you're guaranteed that the course, if it's going to be two years, it's going to be two years' worth of education, not two years crammed into six months online. Um, because this friend of mine, she said, oh, look, there's this really cool course and, and it's free and it's over six months and it's all online and they say it's brilliant. And nothing's free. And they give me a free iPad. <laughs> and I said, don't touch it. And she said, why? Well, I'm about to explain why because Farah Thomason um, at the Fairfax Media has just done a very effective in-depth um, investigation. Now, we've had a few Royal Commissions lately. We had one into union corruption, which found nothing, and then we had one into child, childhood sexual abuse in institutions in Australia, and that found a lot. And we're in the middle of going through one on banking, um, and what's popping out of that is absolutely shocking. We do actually do, do need, we do need a Royal Commission into vocational education and training and what has been allowed to happen. That's not going to happen, by the way, because the reason this mess we're in now is actually the fault of no particular ruling political party. They're both in it up to their elbows. So I'm going to quote now, I think, from a very interesting article because Farah Thomason puts it very well. And she, like all good journalists, talks about the particular and then talks about the general. And she talks in particular about a woman called Rachel Murphy who had barely begun her tertiary course that was supposed to kick-start her career, when the tertiary course she was in abruptly ended. After returning from a gap year in 2016, the sports enthusiast enrolled in a fitness coaching diploma at a place called Sage Institute, a private training college heavily promoted by the biggest loser TV show, commando person called Steve Commando Wilson Willis. So the television, she saw the television, he was a nice guy on The Biggest Loser, so I'm going to go to the Sage Institute and get my fitness coaching diploma. Now, little did she know that five months later, Sage was shut down and became yet another footnote in what was arguably the biggest public policy scandal in Australian history, which is, of course, the systematic rorting of the vocational education and training system. Now, under the federal VET help scheme, private vocational colleges gained virtually unregulated access to government subsidies for every student enrolled, usually tens of thousands of dollars per student. Fueled by salesmen who lured students with free laptops to sign up to overpriced, often online courses, providers made away with billions of dollars of government money while delivering very little education. Now this is now. This is last year. This is the year before. This isn't history. Now this Murphy woman was just one of many victims. She now has a debt of $7,500 to the Commonwealth Government for a course she did not complete, because she could not complete it. At the age of 20, she's become so disheartened by the experience that she's moved overseas and is not sure she will ever return to do study. Well, that's very nice for Ms Murphy. Um, She has the wherewithal and resources to move overseas to get her education, but many people, of course, do not. She said, It was so much shock when it all happened because I was really enjoying my course, she said last week, phoning in from Scotland, where she works in a restaurant as she reassesses her future. Now I just feel super disappointed because 
I could be doing so much more with my life. Now, 15 months after the Turnbull government finally scrapped the VET health scheme and replaced it with a stricter model known as the VET student loans, um, Fairfax Media Investigation has found that the enduring impact of this fiasco is actually much, much worse than we first thought. This whole process of wasting people's money and creating debt in individuals, debt they owe to the Commonwealth and not getting anything for it, in total is $7.5 billion. So that's $7.5 billion that the Commonwealth Government has given to private providers to, to, to enrol students in courses that they did not complete. I think that's very conservative. I've seen $19 billion quoted, Robert. I think well, well, that's she's, she's protecting herself there. Uh, this is Farrah Thomason. Yeah. Well, she says that's what it, that's what it is according to government figures. Right. Okay, including billions of dollars in rorted loans and bad debts that the federal government Department of Education concedes can never ever be recouped. So how does this work? Well, firstly, the college offers a range of online only courses costing up to about twenty thousand dollars. Then. Someone comes along to the students and offers them a free laptop to do a free online course. Then, a student incurs a debt in the future of $20,000 to repay when the government, to the government, if they start earning an average wage or above, which is about 53000 And then five, the government then waits for the student to repay the debt, which they've already given to the provider. But this all happens because the government has paid and continues to pay the college up front. So the government gives the college the money before the student starts the course. Despite rampant wrongdoing, nobody has, at, to this point, today, on Saturday, no one's been charged with a criminal offence. $7.5 billion, no one's been charged with a criminal offence. Four high-profile training colleges are still being pursued in court by the ACCC for alleged make, making false and misleading statements. They are the Unique International College, Empower Institute, the Australian Institute of Professional Education and the Phoenix Institute. By the way, my friend was about to enrol in a Phoenix Institute course. I told them not to and they didn't. Between them, they collected $458 million in Commonwealth subsidies for, for diplomas issued at the height of the rort. Another three colleges have already settled their cases with the ACCC. This whole thing peaked in 2015. It's on the way down now, but it peaked 2015, which is not so many years ago. And then, of course, there's the human toll. Because the students, through all this process, they still have a debt. Yeah, it's all stuff. Everyone agrees it was a terrible idea. Everyone agrees it was rorted. Everyone agrees it was disgusting. Everyone agrees it was corrupt. But the students still have a debt. Even though they were conned, everyone knows they were conned, they still have a debt to the Commonwealth. Well, in fact, some of them didn't even know that they had a debt. They believed the salesman. Did I was a free course? Off you go. Here's your free laptop. Well, at the Banking Commission, we can, we can listen to all the older people where the banks have got rid of their, their hard-earned super. But what about these poor children? They're not going to be allowed to tell their story? Mm. There are some people out there who don't even know they have a debt of $100,000. There are some people out there that don't even know it yet because they haven't got to the average wage and it hasn't yet been decided to be taken out of their taxes. And what happens when they're trying to pay off their mortgages and have children later? Well, yes. Now, this Murphy woman, who didn't do the course because the course closed down, still has a debt. She's trying to get that loan waived, but she's stuck in a complex maze of federal departments and agencies. She said, there seems to be a lot of people shuffling around papers, ticking boxes and asking for more paperwork, said Murphy's mother, Valerie Lester. And her mother, of course, is a Melbourne-based TAFE teacher. Well, her mother should have known better, I'm sorry. She says, we're drowning in bureaucracy. Now, analysis of figures, because this has consequence. Analysis of these figures from the Student Loan Ombudsman show that the federal watchdog received 4,000, well over 4,000 complaints related to VET loan assistance just between July and December in 2017. That's half a year's worth of complaints, well over 4,000. Um, and it's actually likely, as far as they're concerned, to get, be- to get more. In the final three months of the year, 566 of those complaints involve people discovering a debt only after 
they cross the threshold of $55,000 that they'd earned, the threshold at which students are required to pay back. They had no idea they had a debt until all of a sudden this turned up in their pay packet. But insiders believe this is just the tip of the iceberg. Fairfax can reveal that in 2016 the Education Department wrote five, over half a million fee-help student loans, students inviting them to continue their studies under the new loan system in 2017. Now, of the half a million students that they wrote to saying, do you want to continue, only 75,000 replied. Of the almost 450,000 students that didn't respond, little is known. Did they even intend to complete their course? Did they even know they had enrolled in one? The department received about 16,000 complaints from students in the six months to June last year, but recently told the Senate it is difficult to report accurately the precise numbers of students who did not know they were enrolled or who did not know they had a debt. There was a rort where the people were getting um, students or young people's tax files, wasn't there? Yes. Tax file numbers. And enrolling so them. And the, government wrote to, the government wrote to over half a million students who were enrolled, technically enrolled, in private colleges and TAFEs, and only 75,000 of those students replied to the government. That is about 450,000 students out there did not reply because either they're too lazy, or they don't know they're doing a course, or... They aren't doing that course anymore. Now, what that means is this whole process has taken away young people's trust in the system because people now know what I'm talking about. People now feel there is no way of knowing whether the course they're enrolled in is worth anything or not or whether the provider is going to deliver what they claim. So the impact on the V-Health system extends well beyond just students who are caught up in it. It extends to a whole generation of students who now wonder why should I bother doing further training at all because I could get myself ripped off and I'm not sure my effort's going to be worthwhile. But what about all fee-paying students that are coming from overseas to these colleges because they're another sector altogether, aren't they? Well, that's supposed to be an income-earning sector based upon the high quality that that Australia provides in terms of of education. Well, that's that's a very different question indeed. In colleges that go bankrupt and run away with the money. Now, this is hardly what the Labor government under Gillard intended or set out to achieve when it expanded the income contingent, the loan scheme, back in 2012. So this has only happened, started since 2012. Gillard put this in. It was modelled on on the successful university HEX loan system. Now, whether HEX is successful is a question, but the the idea is it was modelled on the HEX system. But was meant to deliver a wide variety of affordable diplomas and advanced diplomas in areas of skill shortage which we still have. But history shows that the lack of safeguards and accountability made it too easy for shonky operators to set up, brought the system and just leave. The ACCC has investigated 15 colleges since 2012, obtaining settlements with three, including Careers Australia, and they forced them to pay back $44 million, and the Australian Vocational Learning Centre paid back a quarter of a million, and the acquired earning was fined $4.5 million. Bear in mind, this whole cost is $7.5 billion. So that's just chicken feed round the edges. Plus, plus. But while the administrative sloppiness by the education department is well known, less so is that the Australian Taxation Office has also embroiled in the scheme, thanks to a loophole allowing dodgy colleges to legally obtain the tax file numbers of, prefects, of prospective students, which is what you're talking about. Sources have told the Fairfax Media that it was reasonably common knowledge in the industry that as long as providers could supply the name and date of birth of a student... The ATO would rectify incomplete or missing tax file numbers which were needed in order to secure an enrolment. Name and date of birth, you give that to the tax office and then they give you the tax file number. Asked what measures were taken to assess the veracity of each request, the ATO spokesperson said tax file numbers would only be confirmed if the provider made genuine attempts to contact the student but were unsuccessful. And if the details given by the authorised contract officer match those with with the agency's database. But the Federal Auditor General has confirmed that no document was required to be provided for individuals in question. 
have, and they had agreed to having their VET help debt done. So if you have someone's name and their date of birth, you can set them up with a $100,000 debt. Oh, well, if you can do no, that, no, 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 you can get no, 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 Jane, you don't understand. The federal government gives that money to the provider. The provider has your name and date of birth. They get the money from the federal government. It's nothing like Facebook. It's not. It's, it's not even a scam. It's just well, it's a scam. But well, it's, you can but get that data from Facebook quite easily. Well, you can get that data from the phone book. That's right. You can get that data from anywhere. Well, you can't get it from the phone book, but it doesn't take much to get someone's date of birth. That's not something that's a secret. Name and date of birth, you can enrol someone in a course without ever having them seen them, and the, and the taxation office will give you their tax file number. Now, that's... See, this is something that wasn't commonly known, but this is ridiculous. It's identity theft. <laughs> this loophole wasn't closed until September 2016, a year after media reports alerted the government to the scale of the problem. By that stage, the ATA responded to thousands of requests for tax file numbers from colleges and salesmen. Some requests from salesmen listed up to 200 students. How the VET help didn't lead to a Royal Commission, I don't know, said former Homeskin TAFE boss and industry expert Bruce McKenzie. It's a disaster. What this means is the system, the TAFE system, has been burned. It's been laid waste. Now, drawn by flexibility, flexibility of being able to study online, people signed up to online community services diploma at a place called Evoca College. Okay, this is a fellow called Oscar Big Stevenson. This is just one example of how the system has been burned. He found himself floundering within six months with no guidance from teachers and the distinct impression that the Institute didn't necessarily care if he passed or failed, as long as his money kept coming in. Avoca lost its accreditation in 2017 after racking up $440 million in Commonwealth subsidies over three years. Almost three years later... Mr. Beg Stevenson says he's felt really burnt. He's not sure if he'll ever return to complete any qualification because what he has at the moment is worth nothing and he has a debt. So if you're a young person and you want to improve yourself and get an education, you can't. Well, you can, but you take this incredible risk. So what's left? What's left for a young person these days if they want to get themselves a VET qualification? You have to go back to the underfunded and stripped-back TAFE sector that, that happens to be left in the middle of all of this. This is one of those things where a marketplace and competition is completely stuffed up. There should now be a Royal Commission. There should be no... Heads should roll, people should get a jail, just like the Banking Royal Commission. Well, this is actually what is also really happening in primary and secondary. Private, private enterprise does not educate all the children and it is interested in at this level in profiteering rather than in making sure that our children are properly trained or educated. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll be back after these messages. What the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser Saturday, May the 19th from 7pm at the Moreland City Band Room, 16 to 22 Cross Street, East Brunswick. Highly danceable tunes by DJ Randy Castilla and DJ Twins, live music by the Amazonics. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Now, after dealing with scandals and such like that, I'm going to save the best for last. We're going to talk about a lovely, lovely little place out there on the border, a lovely little school. Um, this great school, state school. But before we do that, I have to get down and dirty. I have to let you know what it is that the enemies of public education are now saying about public education. Because I'm going to paraphrase and let you know what Kevin Donnelly Kevin Donnelly's got to say. Um, actually, again, in the Fairfax Press, Fairfax are willing to press it. Kevin Donnelly has a business, and his business is to create the idea of things being in the middle. Now, what, what do I mean by that? What, what, what do you happen is you have a debate, so you need two sides. You have people who are public education advocates like us, and you have people who are private school educationists like Kevin Donnelly. His job is to make sure, no matter what he says, no matter how many lies he says, that the general population think the truth is somewhere in the middle of what I'm saying and what he's saying. And to do this, he has to release, he has to resort to the most extraordinarily tortured rhetoric. Now, he says that judging by the inc- 
impact of increased educational expenditure over the last 15 to 20 years, the chances of Australia's education improving are not good if we stick on the path we do. The reality is, he says, measured by trends in international mathematics and science study and the program of international student assessment, that's PISA tests, that Australian standards have flatlined or gone backwards. And in this, he is correct. Now, what he says then is the interesting bit. He says, the reasons why Australian students underperformed, he says, has little, if anything, to do with funding, nothing to do with money. Rubbish. He says, compared to other OECD countries, Australia's expenditure on education as a percentage of gross domestic product is above average, um, not on state education, it's not. But compared to stronger performing education systems, Australian classrooms, and this is, this is where he goes, have been forced to adopt a dumbed-down, overcrowded curriculum that lacks academic rigour. It's the teacher's fault. In addition, he says, to being superficial, the various curriculums across the states and territories fail to provide students with firm grounding in the basics and the type of deep content knowledge associated with subject disciplines. How long is it since he's been in schools, I wonder? In relation, here we go. This is why Australian schools aren't doing well. In relation to history, for example, the curriculum is awash with references to Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and spiritual values with minimum reference to the benefits and value of Western civilisation and the importance of the Enlightenment and the Judeo-Christian heritage. That's why we're doing bad. In relation to classroom practice, he says, our curriculum also fails to embody best practice. Research carried out by the OECD concludes that prevailing orthodoxy in Australian schools is based on what he calls constructivism. Now, I'll just let you know, as far as he's concerned, this made-up word of constructivism is a bad thing. And he says, constructivism is defined by where, he says, and I quote, the classroom is no longer a place where teachers pour knowledge into passive students who wait like empty vessels to be filled. In the constructivist model, the students are urged to be actively involved in their own process of learning. He thinks that is the reason why Australians are doing badly. As a result, he says, of turning teachers into facilitators and guides by the side and treating students as knowledge navigators and digital natives, it's not surprising that standards are failing. This evil constructivism and adopting inquiry-based approaches centred on the world of child ignores the reality that explicit teacher-directed learning based on essential knowledge, understanding and skills is critical if schools are to be effective. Oh, mate. I could go on. But now, private schools are really good because they don't do this. Have you heard of the Wellbeing Centre at Geelong Grammar and the, in, and, the, and the Independent Learning Initiatives of the Rich and Foul, Powerful and Famous Children of Australia? Mate. He says it's all right for rich people, but not the poor ones. Poor people don't get the good stuff. They've got to, be, they've got to have stuff. But it's strange They've got to stuff, be empty vessels with things poured in. Oh. Now, he, now he's, he come across some evidence in a report in the UK put out by the Tories, The Secret to Successful Schools. The philosophy of teacher-direct learning is one of no excuses. Where ex- expectations are high, there is strong discipline and a traditional curriculum on a teacher-led whole class. Te- oh, I, I can go on. But that's where Donnelly's is up to. Is that what you get in private schools in Australia? Oh, I don't think so. I, I work in about 50 each year. Around Victoria, that's not what you get. That's not what you get. Oh, he goes on. Um, I, perhaps we'll have to deal with this later because I'm, I'm sick and tired of that. I mean, I might go all Sun Tzu on you and try to understand my enemy, but I'm sure our listeners don't need to hear the misuse of Kevin Donnelly. So the problems with the Australian education system are we're learning too much about Aboriginals and that um, teachers are, are being more flexible in their approach to the individual learning needs of students. Absolutely. Extraordinary stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you a school where that's exactly what they do. Well, what Ken, Kevin Donnelly says is the right thing, is not what they do, and where Kevin Donnelly... <laughs> I'm going to show you a place where Kevin Donnelly would, 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 would have apoplexies. Um, and it's a little place called the Murray, Murrayville Community College. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. schools School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program.
Murrayville, Murrayville Community College. Now, I bet you a million dollars that you've never been to Murrayville Community College because Murrayville's in a very interesting place. Murrayville Community College is about halfway between Mildura and Nil, which themselves are about a 1,000 kilometres apart. <laughs> it's right... I wouldn't say the middle of nowhere, but if you're talking Victoria, it's about as close as you can get. It's, 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 it's the neighbour of nowhere, Murrayville Community College. It's right there, south of Mildura, north of Nil, in the Western Districts. And as a school, it's extraordinary. I have to say it's absolutely extraordinary. Now, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that this is not regional school. It's not a city school. It's not a regional school. This is a remote school. It's way out the back. And as a result, being a state school as it is, you've got to spend the money. You've got to spend the money. You've got to spend the time. And they do. Well, the private schools don't go into remote areas. No, no, no. It's no, too expensive. No, it's too expensive. And you know what? The one out there that's a state school is doing so well, there's no need for one. If the states, if the state school didn't go into this area, these children would have to board somewhere else. They wouldn't get a, a school there. No, not at all. And you can tell this from the um, the profile of the kids that are there in terms of their socioeconomic status. Um, what you've got at this school is you've got the kids, the vast majority, I would say, let me have a look, 70% of the kids are from the poorest quartile of Australians. Okay, 30% are from the very poorest. 38% are from below average, 25% are slightly above average, and 6% are from the richest quartile. So it's not like a lot of schools you get um, out here, but this is obviously a school where the squatters send their children. This is, a, this is a school where the local landed gentry would send their kids, as well as everyone else from the town and around. Now, there's around about 120 kids at this school. It's a remote school. And... How much money is spent? Well, there's $22,000 per kid spent on this school. $22,000 per kid. There's about 15 teachers for just less than 150 kids. So it's about seven kids per teacher. That's a very high student-teacher ratio. That's a fair bit of money. And this is what you would expect in a state school in a remote area. Because you've got to pay to have the teachers there. You've got to pay to retain them. You've probably got to put them up in a house too, because this is a remote area. It's kind of, kind of what we're talking about here. Um, and there's some non-teaching staff, support staff out there as well. There's eight of those. So if you've got that number of, you've got that ratio, it's also, by the way, P to 12. So this school teaches everything from prep to VCE. And so you need teachers so that you just don't have, well, you don't have a limited range of options when it comes to VCE. You don't make, you don't make the children suffer because you haven't got the teachers. So it's a P to 12 school with about uh, almost 120 kids and you've got yourselves around about 23 teaching staff. And it costs a fair bit of money. And you know what? Happy for my money to go there. So what's all this money? You know, all this terrible... Everyone talks about the state education system being inflexible. Well, inflexible, of course, is what Kevin Donnelly wants everyone to be. So I think he'd want the state schools to be like that, but i tell you what, out there at Murrayville Community College, they're not. It's actually a first-class educational facility, and it caters for kids from four years old to 19 years old. Over the last couple of years, the, the enrolment stabilised at around about 120 kids. It's actually part of the community out there, and it takes kids from South Australia as well in Victoria because it's so close to the border, and benefits, of course, from a very supportive school community from the people around it. Now, it's quite nice looking. They've got a nice garden around there, and they, and they keep everything. But the senior students have the opportunity to participate not just in small classes, but they can do VET certificates, school-based apprenticeships, in addition to VCE and VCAL programs. All the students would benefit from small class sizes and what they would call differentiated learning, the opposite of what Kevin Donnelly is talking about, differentiated learning. Now, students at this college also have excellent access to IT. To, to computers. It's a one-to-one -one for laptops for 7 to 12, one-to-one -one with iPads from 3 to 6, and there's desktop computers and iPads for the preps to twos. The college continues to commit to a wide range of extracurricular programs, and because they're remote, including they have a camps program, but they also get in visiting authors for their, for their English program. They have visiting dancers come. They have Arts Council funding and excursions to live public performances as far away and I say it, I say as far away as Melbourne. So how are these kids doing? What's going on? How are these kids in terms of the results? Well, in terms of sheer numbers, when it comes to schools with similar students, 
And by the way, what I'm saying is that their Ixia Valley, the school itself, has a substantially poorer population. They are caning it. Not only are they doing well, they're doing really well right across the board, out there in the Murrayville Community College. They are either above average or well above average or kicking along fine compared to similar schools around Victoria. And they are above average compared to all schools in grammar, numeracy and writing. So money does matter. Not just money, but a differentiated, individualised, student-based learning program, exactly what Kevin Donnelly said that we need and exactly what this state school is not doing. And I, and I hear this again and again from private school advocates. State schools are too rigid. They, they're not flexible enough. They're just teaching for the one system, which is what Donnelly was advocating for. The man's got himself so tied up in so many knots these days in terms of advocating for private schools. Because if you go to Ivanhoe Grammar, it's not about one size fits all. You look at their posters and you go to their website. It's all about individual learning plans and your special petal. It's all about realising the value of the gifted and talented students, of course, which your student is. And for the, for the cheap price of $30,000 per year, we can make your student special. Yeah, that's not what the state schools are all about. Children are special when they walk in the door. You don't make them that way. You can't buy special. All kids deserve an excellent education, as embodied with the wonderful things going on at the Murrayville Community College. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. We've come to the end now of the dog's hour. We have finished defending government schools. We are the defenders of government schools for for this week. For (laughs) this week, Jean. But unfortunately, until we've won the battle, we have to keep coming back. So pretty soon the, the Donnellys will come out with a mayor culprit and say, oh, look, I'm terribly sorry, I got it wrong all along. And the various bishops of religious institutions go, look, we're terribly sorry, we're going to do the Christian thing and donate all of our schools and grounds to the state so they can run them so that all children can have access to our facilities. Geelong Grammar will close down and become Geelong State School. It'll all be fine, so we won't have to come back next week. But if that doesn't happen, you're going to have to put up with us again. Cause the what fight a wonderful Christian thing to do. It is indeed. <laughs> indeed it is indeed. To, to pull down the barriers of wealth so that all students can have access to the facilities, which, by the way, all their parents have paid for, taxpayers' money and all. I'll anyway, from some psalms in oh, we've got to go away, team. We've got to go away, team, because Theresa has to keep going, and we're not the only people on it. So until for next, until next week, if you're interested in us, you can get in contact with us on our website at www.adogs.info, or indeed, if you want to hear this again, there's some details you want to check up on. You can get the podcast at at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. And of course, if you can think of a great state school, you can actually give the front desk here at 3CR a call and let us know because we'll, we'll investigate schools that you want us to investigate and you can of course call 3CR on 94198377 
Until next week, of course, it's bye for now. Alive as you and me, says I, but you're here ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you'll find your hill It's there you'll find Joe, you're ten years dead.